Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the new fastest computer in the world sees the crown return to the U.S. Will we not see Sony's next-gen VR rig until next year? Ride-hailing fares are reaching record highs as the players attempt to pivot to profitability. A new ride-hailing entrant that lets you haggle on price. And a look at how Paramount is trying to go it alone in the streaming wars. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. I always like to do these sort of headlines once or twice a year when they pop up. An AMD-powered Frontier, which is a supercomputer based in the U.S., is now the world's fastest supercomputer, topping 1,102 petaflops per second, overtaking Japan's Fugaku at 442 petaflops per second. That's a big jump, quoting Tom's Hardware. Frontier not only overtakes the previous leader Japan's Fugaku, but it blows it out of the water. In fact, Frontier is faster than the next seven supercomputers on the list combined. Notably, while Frontier hit 1.1 exaflops during a sustained Linpack FP64 benchmark, the system delivers up to 1.69 exaflops in peak performance, but has headroom to hit two exaflops after more tuning. For reference, one exaflop equals one quintillion floating point operations per second. Frontier also now ranks as the fastest AI system on the planet, dishing out 6.88 exaflops of mixed precision performance in the HPL AI benchmark. That equates to 68 million instructions per second for each of the 86 billion neurons in the brain, highlighting the sheer computational horsepower. It appears this system will compete for the new AI leadership position with newly announced AI-focused supercomputers powered by NVIDIA's ARM-based Grace CPU superchips. Additionally, the Frontier Test and Development Crusher system also placed first on the Green 500, denoting that Frontier's architecture is now also the most power-efficient supercomputing architecture in the world. The primary Frontier system ranks second on the top 500. The full system delivered 52.23 gigaflops per watt while consuming 21.1 megawatts of power during the qualifying benchmark run. At peak utilization, Frontier consumes 29 megawatts. The Frontier supercomputer's sheer scale is breathtaking, but is just one of many accomplishments for AMD in this year's Top 500 list. AMD Epic-powered systems now comprise five of the top 10 supercomputers in the world and 10 of the top 20. In fact, AMD's Epic is now in 94 of the top 500 supercomputers in the world marking a steady increase over the 73 systems listed in November 2021 and the 49 listed in June 2021. AMD also appears in more than half of the new systems on the list this year. Intel CPUs still populate most systems on the top 500, while NVIDIA GPUs also continue as the dominant accelerator." End quote. I put on the old Oculus Quest 2 this weekend for the first time in a while, And I noticed they had a software update that overhauled the entire OS, and now there is meta-branding everywhere. Oculus as a brand is definitely gone, even though I don't know how I'm going to stop saying that name. Somewhat related, Ming-Chi Kuo says Sony will begin mass-producing its PSVR 2 headset in the second half of this year, ahead of a possible launch in Q1 of 2023, depending on the state of flagship game titles. Quoting Upload VR. During a recent business briefing to investors, Sony revealed PSVR 2 will launch with 20-plus major first-party titles and third-party titles. A sneak peek of at least some of these games will be shown in the State of Play presentation next week. 
quote, isn't the first analyst to suggest PSVR 2 won't launch this year. Last month, Ross Young, CEO of Display Supply Chain Consultants, tweeted that both Apple and Sony's VR products were delayed to 2023. Young told us Sony will only have a very limited supply by year's end, so any serious launch would have to happen in 2023. In late February, YouTube channel PSVR Without Parole claimed to have sources for PSVR 2's launch window being Q1 2023. Sony hasn't yet officially announced a release window for PSVR 2, but opened signups in February to be notified when pre-orders launch. As such, we can't be sure whether there is truly a delay or if 2023 was Sony's plan all along, end quote. Bloomberg says data is confirming that the Chinese government's crackdown on tech has had an effect. The value of VC deals in China fell 44% year-over-year to $24.7 billion in the first four months of 2020, which is nearly four times the pace of the overall global slide. Quote, The value of venture deals in the country tumbled 44% to $24.7 billion in the first four months of the year, compared with a year earlier, according to data from the research firm Prequin. That's almost twice the rate of decline in the U.S. and nearly four times the pace of the global slide. A route is sweeping the entire tech industry this year, which some have argued is well-earned and overdue. After more than a decade of surging valuations, the sector has taken a beating, with prominent stocks like Amazon and Tesla tumbling and venture investors pulling back from high-risk deals. Silicon Valley venture firm Sequoia Capital warned founders and chief executives last week that the good times are over and they need to prepare for a new era with severely constrained access to capital. Rates are rising, money is no longer free, and that has massive implications for valuations and fundraising, it said in a presentation for its portfolio companies. China's situation has been aggravated by the Communist Party's crackdown on tech giants and rigid policies for stamping out COVID-19. Lockdowns in cities like Shanghai have hampered all manner of business from advertising and investments to the production of Tesla automobiles and Apple iPhones. Many startups that were seeking financing have been in a difficult situation for more than a year, wrote Quang. Kimming has made roughly the same amount of investments from January to April this year as the same period a year ago, though many were follow-on deals with its existing projects. China hit a record of more than $130 billion in venture deals in 2021 despite the government crackdown, according to Pequin. That was more than 50% higher than the year before. Beijing went after companies that dominated certain spheres in online commerce and content like Alibaba, and food delivery leader Meituan, and investors bet that smaller players could thrive or escape the worst of the regulatory crackdown. VCs continued to back select players they thought would thrive over the long run as the world's number two economy moved up the tech ladder. Indeed, despite the decline in money this year, both deal values and volumes in China from January to April this year have surpassed those during the same period in 2020." End quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. 
Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air-knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. And the long-anticipated end of subsidized rides is here. According to Yipit Data, the average Uber and Lyft fares in the U.S. hit a record high in April as they drew around 20% fewer riders and 35% fewer trips in Q1 2022 compared to Q1 2019, quoting the Wall Street Journal. The ride-hailing companies expected the labor shortage they were experiencing to normalize after states phased out pandemic-driven unemployment benefits last year, but demand for drivers continues to outpace supply. The situation has analysts and investors asking how big the ride-hailing market is and whether Uber and Lyft can operate without losing money. To combat the stubborn set of challenges, the companies are bringing back ride pooling, picking up multiple passengers who want to save money by paying only part of the fare. Ride pooling was suspended during the health crisis. To deepen its pool of on-demand drivers, Uber has joined forces with its once-sworn enemies, taxis. Lyft said it would hand out bigger bonuses to drivers. Meanwhile, both companies are cutting costs by restricting hiring and spending. Our near-term action plan will be focused on accelerating profits. Whether we like it or not, that's the ticket to entry in today's market, Lyft President John Zimmer wrote in a Tuesday memo to staff viewed by the Wall Street Journal. Lyft's shares have fallen more than 65% in the past year, Uber's more than 50%, while the Nasdaq Composite Index has slid less than 20%. Average U.S. fares reached a new high in April, more than 35% above where they were before COVID-19, according to Yipit Data, end quote. Meanwhile, from rest of world, a new competitor in the ride-hailing space? They have a profile of InDriver, a ride-hailing app developed in Siberia back in 2012, which lets riders and drivers haggle over prices and is now available in 42 countries. It seemed to be spreading inevitably around the globe until Russia invaded Ukraine. Quote, InDriver is a ride-hailing app developed in Yakutsk in 2012. The app connects riders with drivers similar to Uber or Yandex Go, Russia's most popular taxi app, but InDriver was very much designed for Yakutia, 
Its main point of difference is that it allows riders and drivers to haggle over prices. It also accommodates long journeys and accepts payments only in cash. What was good for Yakutia, however, turned out to be good for many other parts of the world, too. Over the last decade, InDriver has expanded into countries as disparate as Brazil, Botswana, and Indonesia. It has ramped up its global expansion in the past few years and is now available in 42 countries with its official headquarters in California. According to Data AI, it was the world's second most frequently downloaded ride-hailing app after Uber in 2021-2022. In 2021, InDriver announced that it had achieved unicorn status with a valuation of $1.23 billion following a funding round of $150 million earlier that year, and seems set to continue its rollout into new locations around the world, including plans to expand into Australia. In February, Rest of World traveled to Yakutsk to visit the company's flagship office and speak to some of its team about its ongoing expansion. It seemed that nothing could hold back the company's rise from a local Russian service to a truly global rideshare competitor. Then, less than an hour after Alexander Pavlov, InDriver's chief mobile hub officer, spoke with Rest of World about the company's future plans, the news broke. Russia had invaded Ukraine. The company claims that InDriver's model isn't just more fair to riders, but also to the drivers who work on the platform. While ride-hailing platforms like Uber can take more than 25% of a passenger's payment and use algorithmically deduced surge pricing, InDriver's commission averages at 9.5% around the world. In its native Yakutsk, drivers get a privileged rate and only pay 6% commissions to the platform. But the platform's defining difference is the haggling model. Unlike Uber and Yandex Go, which deduce fares based on factors including distance, travel time, and demand, InDriver users propose a price and settle it with their individual driver. InDriver made two attempts to launch in places where haggling is not part of the culture, Moscow and New York at the end of 2018. In both places, the company decided to stress another selling point, middle and long-distance journeys. In Moscow's case, this mostly means trips to one of the city's four airports. In New York, InDriver also tried to introduce credit card payments for the first time, but that was largely a failure due to a high volume of card fraud the company was not prepared for. But back in Yakutsk, Pavlov insists that InDriver would return to the city. By the time of publication, InDriver had around 1.5 million drivers across 42 countries with plans to expand into more locations, again, including Australia, end quote. The founders of the company have denounced the war in Ukraine and trumpet the fact that while the app has taken off in places like Mexico, only 7% of its business these days is still back in Russia. InDriver recently went live in Lebanon and Jamaica. No word on if they are considering making another run at the U.S. market in the near term. Finally today, a profile of Paramount. Three years into its streaming shift, an underdog choosing to continue alone as Netflix and Disney and others dominate and other streamers of similar size cut deals. Quoting the New York Times, in January, the board of Paramount, including Sherry Redstone, the company's chair, met with a group of bankers to get an update on the media industry and to hear about potential deals that might help the company better compete with streaming giants like Netflix and Disney. The bankers from Goldman Sachs and Liontree came with many deal ideas, according to four people with knowledge of the meeting. The most logical one, the banker said, was combining some parts of Paramount, which owns networks like Nickelodeon and MTV and the Paramount Plus streaming service, with those owned by Comcast the cable giant that owns NBC Universal and the Peacock streaming service. The two companies already have a streaming joint venture in Europe, but in the end, the board, Ms. Redstone, and Bob Backish, the company's chief executive, did not feel compelled to pursue any of the combinations. They would continue to zig while Hollywood zagged. That is, Paramount, with its collection of streaming services including Pluto TV and Showtime, in addition to Paramount+, Plus, would keep going it alone. 
The fast rise of streaming has reshaped the media industry in just a few years as companies have felt pressure to spend billions on new TV shows and movies to attract enough subscribers to compete with the industry's giants. MGM, the famed movie studio, sold to Amazon, and Discovery combined with Warner Media, the film and TV giant behind Game of Thrones and Succession. Not Paramount. Since the company was created from the merger of Viacom and CBS three years ago, it hasn't sought another big deal. Instead, the company has been trying to build its own profitable streaming business before the flow of cash from traditional TV, still its big moneymaker, runs dry. Rich Greenfield, a co-founder and analyst at Lightshed Partners, a research firm, is skeptical that Paramount can survive on its own. Paramount's streaming business is growing quickly, but it's still not profitable, Mr. Greenfield said, and much of the audience for Paramount's signature content, think MTV and Nickelodeon, has shifted to new media platforms like TikTok and Instagram. I don't think there's anybody who believes that in five years this company won't either have bought other things or become part of something larger, Mr. Greenfield said. It's eat-or-be-eaten time, end quote. Mr. Backish said that competitors like Netflix, which he cheekily calls legacy streamers, are now only coming around to the importance of the revenue strategies Paramount has embraced for years, including advertising. The box office, another traditional business largely eschewed by Netflix, is another example, Mr. Backish said. Top Gun Maverick is on pace to generate $150 million in ticket sales during its opening weekend, but in an exception to most movies produced by the studio, it won't appear on Paramount Plus within the typical 45-day window. Still, some experts think Paramount's strategy is sound. Brett Feldman, an analyst for Goldman Sachs, said that the global market for streaming subscribers is far bigger than the audience for pay TV subscribers. Paramount Plus added 6.8 million subscribers in the first quarter of 2022. Mr. Feldman is in the minority of analysts who have a buy on Paramount. Not everybody pays for cable, especially outside the U.S., Mr. Feldman said. Most people have an internet connection or cell phone to stream video, end quote. Paramount got a recent vote of confidence this month from Berkshire Hathaway, the holding company run by the billionaire Warren Buffett. Berkshire Hathaway said in a filing that it had amassed a $2.6 billion stake in Paramount. Berkshire Hathaway did not explain its rationale for investing in Paramount, and the company declined to grant an interview to The Times. But the news caused Paramount's shares to spike 15%, end quote. Nothing for you today, because I've got a Mac Studio sitting behind me that needs unboxing and setting up. Talk to you tomorrow.